you ready for this? Yeah. If is the most original and heartfelt movie in years. Magic like this comes around once in a lifetime. This Friday, experience it with your whole family. Can we do it again? If ready PG. Blitz is defined as a sudden savage attack. It is indeed all this. The effect is sure. The premise is simple. It's a basic, primal confrontation, man to man. No excuses are offered. None except. Welcome to the latest edition of Longhorn Blitz with Horns247.com. Looks like a radio station. Now, here are your hosts, lifetime Longhorn Rod Babers. Pure athlete, yeah. I transcend race, hombre. Matt Butler. I don't talk man. I back it up. And we are chock full of that, man. Go right. And Jeff Howe. It's still real to me, damn it. And that's the bottom line. Cause Stone Cold sets up. If you're gonna blitz, come strong, but don't come at all. Coming strong with a holiday bowl season edition of Longhorn Blitz with Horns 24-7. I am Jeff Howe. Belated Merry Christmas, Happy Holidays, Early Happy New Year, or maybe it's Belated Happy New Year whenever you're listening to this. Whatever you're doing, however you're doing, we hope you're doing well, and thank you so much for listening to the show. We have got not just a bowl game to talk about, we've got some NFL draft stuff to talk about, potentially, and we got an offensive coordinator to talk about. All that stuff went down pretty much today as we sit here and record this on Sunday night before Texas gets ready to face Utah in the Alamo Bowl to close out some retrospective on the season in time, but for, we won't you know, lament on that too much. We'll just kind of let that marinate and keep that off to the side and let it stew, and we'll get to that later. But let's go ahead and get to the business at hand. But before we do that, let me bring in the rest of the team. He is the master of the soundboard, the drop machine extraordinaire, Matt Butler. Matt, how was your holiday? Uh, great one. Had some good times with the family. How about you? Wonderful, man. You know, my daughter, my young daughter, she's uh, – it took her a while to figure out the proper Whoa. process of opening presents, <laughs> but once she got it down, she uh, was. Uh, yeah, man, it's like swimming for swimming for a dog. They figured out. <laughs> was uh, there like an aha moment that she yeah. found out something yeah. pulls inside, yeah, and now you, she got excited she figured, for the yeah. next When you can grab the paper with both hands and rip the paper, rip it. Did yeah. mom have to show her? Mom and dad, had mom to show and dad her had to yeah. help her. Yeah, and she's like, oh, I got this. We oh, even, I, oh, I get something good every time. Oh, yeah. boom. The That's process, easy. the process needed to. Uh, it was muscle memory. It was. It was stunted a little bit. To yeah. the point where we had to have like an intermission and say, "Okay, let's just let's take a break right now. We'll get to this later." Yeah, because no uh, we might be here till seven o'clock tonight. But oh no! Uh, but trust me, next Christmas it won't be her freshman season. She'll be yeah. uh, she'll be dependent. Yeah, just, yeah, just like incentivized. So she's early on. It's early on. Just she's like Sam Ellinger going from seventeen to eighteen, right? <laughs> All the mistakes and the head scratching moments, and then yeah, before season you know pro. it, she'll be Joe right. Burrow uh, when it comes Christmas time. She'll be yeah, I mean, you won't even, she'll be up before you guys. Yeah. I guess the equivalent of destroying it pre snap is when we got to hide stuff in the attic because yeah. she starts snooping. So, there you go. That's what she's on it, dude. She's Christmas Eve. Yep. She's figured it out. He can make all kinds of football analogies mm. because he's that kind of a renaissance man. We love him here on the show. He is our lockdown corner here on Longhorn Blitz, and you get him on 1049 The Horn each and every weekday on the broadcast from 1 to 3. Lifetime Longhorn 2002 UT All-American 2002 semifinalist for the Jim Thorpe Award. Fourth round draft choice of the New York Giants back in 2003. Spent his NFL career with the Giants, Lions, Bears, Bucks, Broncos, and a year with the Hamilton Tiger Cats in the CFL. When he was done with football, he got himself back to Austin, Texas in the 40 Acres where he earned his degree. Whenever he gets that T-ring back in his possession, I promise I will make sure he wears it proudly. <laughs> Nevertheless, he is a card-carrying member of DBU. I'm going to get that All-American honor recognized by the NCAA. They give you that black card. Number 21 in your program, number one in your hearts. 
Mr. Rod Babers. Thank you for the intro, brother. Yeah, Chad actually uh, asked me if you uh, rehearsed that intro, and I was like, he, I think he freestyled it one time and then kept after that. He just kept doing it. I think he added to it a couple of times, but after that, I think he just, and he's like, does he have a, a notepad? I was like, no, he literally just does it, boom, off the top of his dome. Yeah, you he's hear the wrestling promo inside yeah, his mind, was, and then as if he were to call any, I mean, he knows that's why your Chad recognized it because he's a wrestling easy. freak. So and he, then you get the yeah. nice and see the encyclopedic knowledge real quickly. Oh, yeah. American, Texas, Some Gene NFL Oakland teams. in there is what he's basically saying. Give yes. you a Gene Oakland call. Oh, mean Gene I appreciate that. Mean that Gene. quite entertaining. Uh, <laughs> Rod, I was referencing Chad. Chad Hastings Afternoons with Chad and Kevin also on the horn. Yes. Good friends of the show. Um, Rod, let's go ahead and just tackle it. We'll, dive go, in? we'll go one step at a time. A lot of we'll stuff get to bowl on, game man. stuff. We'll get to NFL draft stuff yeah. with Sam okay. Ellinger and Sam Cosme. Let's go ahead and, and start with the, the topic du jour right now. This yeah. was it, it, If you can read the tea leaves, this has been going on for about a week now, maybe even longer. Uh, if you needed confirmation on how close the Mike Yersich hire was to being completed, go back and listen to Tom Herman's press conference on Friday when he arrived at the Alamo, at the Alamo mm-hmm. Bowl and talked about the offensive coordinator search in past tense hmm. uh, yeah. and didn't correct himself. He had moved on. Right. This one was, for all intents and purposes, was over. Uh, and now it's officially over. Mike Yersich, the passing game coordinator at Ohio State, is now the Texas offensive coordinator. It's official. So, Rod, when I look at this hire, and we heard we talked about the candidates, right? And we knew Joe Brady was going to get a phone call, even though we all figured that probably wasn't going anywhere. Obviously, the search zeroed in on Graham Harrell at one point. I know Chip Long, the former Notre Dame offensive coordinator, was a guy Tom Herman talked to. Uh, Kirk Sharaka from Minnesota, now at Penn State, was a guy Texas looked at. Uh, we did hear, you know, Major Applewhite's name popped up, even though that I don't think that was ever going to happen. But you tie it all together, and you get Mike Yersich. And for me, Rod, were there were there bigger names out there to be had? In my opinion, yes. But I think in terms of the fit Tom Herman was looking for, I think he got the right guy because Mike Yersich does have experience, which he had with at Oklahoma State, of coming in, looking at somebody's offense, and basically running that offense. Obviously, as a coordinator, play caller, you put your own spin on it. But Mike Yersich is comfortable coming in and running somebody's else somebody else's offense, which is what Tom Herman wants him to do: evolve this pro spread offense. But it's the offense is basically going to stay the same. Um, no, I totally agree with you. And, you know, just obviously a bird's eye view of it. I'm a big, you know, I, I like Mike Gundy. I know I've criticized Mike Gundy on his show t- this year. Been very this critical year, of Gundy's him. weird. Even this, game this, this year, year, Gundy, I don't know if he's, I don't, I'm not going to say. He made some same decisions. not going like to say he's losing it. Exactly. I'm not going to say he's losing he's it, but Gundy. He's not coaching as if he has a mullet. He's he, been strange. He's gotten very conservative in his Very strange. Age. But I also, this is what I like about Gundy. Gundy, go look at his track record since he's got to Oklahoma State at 2005, I believe it was, first year. He's been, he's really outside the box at picking OCs, and he actually knows that he doesn't need to be calling the plays because he's going through this kind of same struggle that Tom Herman's going through right now. Like, oh, I want to call them plays because I'm an OC, but I know if I really want to make this the best football team possible, I don't need to be calling the plays. I need to be actually delegating elsewhere. I need to be into quality control. I need to be in special teams. I need to have my hands in defense. I need to go all over the place. And he's, I think what Gundy struggled with, and he's given, he's gotten time, to, he's gotten time. I think that Tom Herman does, did not have that luxury at Oklahoma State because you know he did have a sugar daddy there, God rest his soul. All right, and T Boone Pickens who believed in him, 
But look at the OCs he's had. He had Larry Fedora to start out. All right, that was his first OC, I believe. Then he had Gunter Brewer. Most people don't even know who the hell Gunter Brewer is. Mm-hmm. But he, he was like an, in, an in-house hire for, for Mike Gundy. And now I think he went on to be the co-OC or the OC with Larry Fedora in North Carolina. Now he's with Louisville. But Consider one of the better receivers coaches in the country. Yes, and he was a receivers coach, I believe, at Oklahoma State when he mm-hmm. promoted him uh, to OC. Daner Hogerson after that, that's when Gundy fell in love with the air raid. That's when he... He goes, I mean, he goes kind of all in on the air raid. He's like, no, 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 the air raid is definitely the way I want to build my passing game. Then Todd Munkin comes in. Todd Munkin's his OC, and Todd Munkin's kind of a bastard stepchild of the air raid. Always, you know, he's not a stalker. He's an mm-hmm. air raid stalker. He's not a disciple of it, but he always wished he was. And then there's Mike Yurcich after that. And Mike Yurcich, this is where he comes in because he is so malleable. This is the beauty of Mike Yurcich and kind of what you were talking about. Uh, and this is why Link, and you were talking about, Jeff, and I think this is what Mike Gundy saw is that this guy can come in and almost in a non-disruptive way integrate his principles into yours and still make a a, a collaborative offense. Where most people, if Graham Harrell comes in, he's got to run the air raid. Mm-hmm. Got to run it. Yeah. And I, I think Mike Gundy actually probably had the same... He probably had the same apprehension. He probably had the same type of uh, response to the air raid as, you know, Tom, Tom Herman did and yeah. Mike Gundy, same thing. Like, I don't want to take over my offense. I still want to have balance. What's Mike Gundy's calling card since he's been in the Big 12? Balance. Balance. I want balance. I want to run the ball. I want to throw the ball. I want my balance. And that's what Tom Herman also wants. He wants balance. Why he loves the 11 personnel. Yurcich comes in and Yurcich can bring that balance with the passing game and have that that fluid, you know, uh, collaborative relationship between a passing game and the running game. And I think that's what Tom Herman's kind of fallen in love with. Sean Gleason, who I believe came from, what, Princeton, I believe? Man, dude. Trust me, Mike Gundy will look all over the planet to find a guy that is yeah. compatible. He found this guy in Shippensburg. That, yeah, that's com- exactly. He found him in Shippensburg. Yeah. Yeah. I remember me and Jeff yeah. had just started the podcast. We had no clue what Shippensburg was in 2012. I, still, I didn't. I did the research on it too. I was like, "What the hell is Shippensburg?" We brought up the name like three weeks ago just because we were throwing somebody from yeah. Okie State. But, but yeah. what, what he's willing to do is go far and wide to find somebody that's compatible with him. Like, no, no, somebody that's compatible with my ideals, with what I believe offensively, and I think that may be more. Uh, important than finding just a really explosive, prolific offensive ideology because Tom Herman ain't going nowhere. And he knows he's going to want to, you know, he's going to want to put his fingers in it. He's going to want to, you know, veto different things. Then find somebody that can that can work with you in that capacity. And honestly, I think Yurchish may end up being the best of those candidates if you yeah. look at it from that point of view, compatibility. When you look at, like, uh, you know, Shiraka was a guy looking at kind of his track record and what he's done at Minnesota. He was a guy that intrigued me, and obviously he intrigued James Franklin enough that he's going to be the new offensive coordinator at Penn State. Yeah. But when you look at the other candidates, Rod. Brett Lashley intrigued me a little. Brett Lashley did because of the, I was the, there's with the Herb that. Hand tie-in. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. And then the air raid, he got mixed in with Dykes. I was like, ooh. And then the, the, he's obviously a power spread he disciple can, exactly. of Gus Malzahn. There you go. But looking at the other candidates, like Chip Long for the compatibility issue, not that Chip Long's a bad coordinator, because I think you know the one thing you hear about Chip Long is dynamic play caller, which is what I think Texas needs. But I just think leaving the situation at Notre Dame that he did, I don't think being somewhere with a head coach whose job is on the line, who has an offensive background, who might want to still have his hands on the offense, I don't think that's something... Chip, Chip Long just finished working for Brian Kelly. I don't think he's going to want to go work for Tom Herman, like when push comes to shove. 
Uh, and then, and who knows, maybe one day they, you know, down the road, you never say never in football. But I th- and to your point, I think if it was going to be Graham Harrell, for Tom Herman to feel good about that, I think from the jump, Graham Harrell had to be in the boat with both feet, no question. Hell yeah, let's do this. I'm gonna bring this offense. You know, yeah. we're gonna we're gonna light up a scoreboard, blah, blah, blah. In other words, I think Graham Harrell's enthusiasm on a scale of one to ten had to be about a thirteen. Yeah. And I think initially it was about a six. Yeah. Apprehension. He was like, mm, I'm not sure about this. Because I think for <laughs> I think for Graham Harrell, I think what it boiled down to, Rod, is is USC a is it a you know what show right now? Absolutely. Yes. yes. But he knows the ins and outs of that catastrophe over there yep he doesn't know the ins and outs of what's going on in texas the devil he you know finally got yes. to pick some tools yeah. that he could use there so no just... i totally agree with you and i'll say i still think he might have made a mistake yeah right but it feels but, like arizona but, but he I, but might I, not have I, but when it's USC, I understand yeah i understand mm-hmm. the thought process it totally makes sense to me like no, no no you stick with the devil you know and you develop those quarterback system already in and they don't like clay Hilton. they hate him <laughs> they love you they hate him yeah. so that's always a good opportunity for a coup d'etat Yep. <laughs> so, you know, when we look at Mike Yersich, I don't know how much you can take from his one year at Ohio State other than just what he did helping to develop Justin Fields. Yeah. Because Ryan Day called the plays, and I'm sure Mike Yersich had a hand in that in terms of game planning, but you can't watch. Is he the quarterback's coach? Yes. Well? Okay. Yeah, you so can't, some quarterback development. There. You can't watch Ohio State, what they do conceptually, and think, okay, Texas is getting that. There will be some of that because – they're both power spread offenses. Like mm-hmm. Ryan Day took the Urban Meyer, basically kind of what Tom Herman wants Mike exactly. Yersich to do. Ryan Day took that Urban Meyer power spread and has evolved it. Yersich is going to do the same thing at Texas. But the bottom line is, you know, you can't glean outside of the Justin Fields development. You can't glean a whole lot from Ohio State. That said, Rod, you look at the strides Justin Fields made. Goes into the Fiesta Bowl with four, like forty touchdowns, one interception. Mm-hmm. Yeah. and granted, Ohio State's got insanely ridiculous skill talent on the outside that's a mismatch for just about everybody Handful in the Big Ten. Central Texas. Yeah. But the <laughs> but the but the bottom line is in addition to the compatibility with Tom Herman, Tom Herman getting somebody that can take his pro spread offense and evolve it. I like the I, I like looking at what he did with Justin Fields this year and, and how Justin Fields, how his game grew. I think you're. This is a higher where I think you can maximize the final year you've got with Sam Ellinger. Yeah, no, I totally agree. I, I actually I, I like the hire, and I do think it was a thorough search. I think what we were asking for was, hey man, can you be thorough about this? Can we make sure that we are going as deep as possible? You know, and in, in, in terms of vetting every possible candidate that's compatible with you, not going with the not necessarily the most popular hire or even the most obvious one, um, trying to figure out the one that's right for you. I always talk about that with compatibility with quarterbacks and, mm-hmm. and offensive uh, coaches. You know, it's not the woman you marry. It's not the hottest woman you ever dated. She was the one that was right for you. And I think in this situation, I'm with you. I'm kind of reading the tea leaves. I think Yurcich is a good hire for Tom Herman. I think he can he can push him a little bit to evolve the offense, but still there is compatibility there in the uh, the structure and the philosophy of they want to be a balanced pro spread, which is basically the power spread. And Gundy's been hell. Gundy's probably been as balanced as any team in the Big Twelve for the last 10, 15 years. I mean, um, if you go look at his his mm-hmm. best teams and when they're at their best, they're just balanced football teams that can hurt you either rain uh, rain the football as a dynamic football team offensively or throwing the football downfield. If you look at Gundy's background, the guy was turned around handing it off to Barry Sanders and Thurman Thomas in college. 
And he was an offensive coordinator for Les Miles. Yeah. So <laughs> he, yes, I'm saying he gets it. He does. And honestly, to, to to my point, I even have been overly critical of him because I think honestly, if he's not so committed to the run versus Texas this year, I think they beat Texas. Yes, but he was, was so committed him. to it that running the football that that's why they didn't beat Texas. But also, his commitment to the to run game is why Chuba Hubbard is a two thousand yard rusher. Yes, <laughs> because he knows Chuba is a special player. So I, I understand the give and take there. But I, listen, I like the hire. I like Gundy's offensive mindset. I've always been a big fan of it. And I think it'll work well with Tom Herman. I do. I think this is a the balanced pro spread. This is perfect for it. Yeah, it and really it's is. exactly like you said, the marriage for the situation is big, too. Not only did we have to have somebody that was going to work for the offense going forward, but Tom yeah. Herman's in an odd p- spot of his career with yeah, Sam, man. and it's a tipping point Sam. moment, but he didn't want to hand over the keys necessarily to something, or if you had to do a full transition and change to a different type of offense, I don't even know if you could afford that, and then to find the right type of option, because if your ideals are, or the ways to be more critical of your offense this year was, you fell back into a few situations where you maybe didn't do what you intended to do when you looked at the game afterward, but going into it, you maybe didn't have the plan. So the offense went awry within the game and within the season, which means the problems really aren't anything ingrained within it. It's just a few tweaks, and he's a guy that can be able to have somebody that can maybe come in, bring in fresh thoughts, fresh new ideas, but also not have to revamp everything because he has to win right now. That's why he's keeping some of the coaches, we assume. We don't know how many of the coaches are going to stay, mm-hmm. but we assume there's going to be a, you know, a one, two, maybe three three offensive coaches that are going to stay. Herb Hand's under contract, so I think. Exactly, and I think when you're bringing in a new offensive coordinator, listen, I know it's compatibility we're talking about, but convenience is a part of it too because uh, the fact of the matter is every offensive coordinator you bring in is not going to agree with you having certain coaches at certain positions that you already have already, you know, kind of given, you know, given honorary, you know, uh, uh, kind of, I would say, kind of given honorary tenure to. Yeah, like they, like Herb Hands your O line coach. Grandfathered like, well, in. Oh, I need a, I need an O line coach. Like, oh, my O line coach is critical to my run blocking schemes and how I teach this yeah. and that. And some coaches will go, well, hell no, I'm not, no. And you, you basically, you're going to, but you're going to potentially uh, give me what may be an albatross around my neck yeah. with a coach that I didn't choose. If you're going to let me, if I got to cook the meal, I got to be able to pick out the groceries. Right. Shop for the groceries. This is like a fixer. So that's why I think. You know, not saying, you know, Graham Harrell and all those guys wouldn't have worked, but I think some other coordinators would have been really adamant and vehemently mm-hmm. saying, hey, I need to pick my coaches. I think your should have been in a position a couple of times going, no, 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 I'm good. I'll come <laughs> figure it out. I'll be the fixer we'll with you. He's a good coach. I know he is. You believe in him. We'll figure it out. We'll we'll be able yeah. to marry our principles and marry yeah. our he's technique like, I can be the next and Joe terminology. Yeah, yeah. We'll figure it out. He, and he's that's why I think that's important, man. That's important in yeah. this situation. We we've seen staff rebuilds at Texas. We've seen them, not just staff rebuilds, but initial staffs. We've seen them done a, a number of different ways. And I think Tom Herman with this reboot rod, he's going. More so the route Mac Brown went after 2010. It is where very Mac Brown. He's look. I'm just gonna hire the best guys I can for each position and just hope you get it right and hope it works. Well, it won't be the best guys at every position. You, you, but you know yeah. what I'm saying? Like try yeah, yeah, to yeah, try yeah. to go get the very best you can. I think you know he's starting with the offensive coordinator, defense coordinator, best guys I can get for those positions, and then after that, we'll just kind of let the chips fall where they may. And I don't know if that's gonna work or not, but 
I like the hires. I will say that. And I'm I'm kind of with Matt. I didn't think it was. I thought the the, the issues this season. I think it was in the details where mm-hmm. where things where games were lost. And I just and I think that Tom Herman understood that too. He was like, damn right. man, we lost the game on this drive. Yeah. We lost the game on these a three plays of, on a handful of plays for TCU and Iowa State and hell, and hell even LSU for that yeah. matter. Now I look back, yeah. and if those games, if you if you have if Tom Herman's able to devote himself to other aspects of the football team, I think he's figuring out. He's starting to say, you know what? I could have made a difference. I could have made a difference on special teams um, in this game, or I could have made a difference on the defensive call in this game and he's saying no I had too much tunnel vision I couldn't see the forest for the trees so yeah I understand his thought process like no we're not that far away we're like oh man they suck like no we're not that far away we're a 10 win team who's now you know seven win team could be an eight win team but we're we're close we just we screwed up some of the details in the big 12 it's a very competitive conference, and there's nobody. Hell, you saw Oklahoma get whipped by the <laughs> SEC yep. and LSU. Hell, like made Texas look good. Exactly, it did make Texas look good. But I think it also threw, that just shows where Texas threw, was this year. I think there it throws the Big Twelve in a conversation where the Big Twelve might be the most competitive league in the in the country, just because I don't know if there's a great team in the Big Twelve. Well, and, and, that's I don't, and even the worst team in the Big Twelve, hell. Kansas. Who's the worst team in the Big 12? Is it Kansas? Yeah. Hell, Kansas. But they're catching up. Down to the wire. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. Like, I think it's just there. there's such a drop-off in the SEC and the ACC and even in the Big 10 and, hell, even in the Pac-12. In the Big 12, the drop-off is not as immense or maybe just the ceiling is not as high. Whatever it is. Oh, man. Have you looked at the ACC? Oh, my God. Yeah. Wake Forest won eight games in the ACC. That's what I'm saying. Like, I, that's what I'm saying. I, and I'm, I'm not trying to pump up the Big 12. Nobody, not by any means. The Big 12's got a lot of issues, and we don't measure up to the, the SEC or the Big 10 or even the ACC now because just because of Clemson alone. My point is, in terms of competitive parity, competitive parity from top to bottom, I think it's I think it's the it's the best conference in the country potentially. Yep. Just because on any given day, Oklahoma's not Oklahoma lost to Kansas State for God's sakes. It's not a dominant team. But <laughs> the yeah. Shakespearean flaws of every team in the Big 12 are so glaring that. I, that's why Baylor could win eleven games and go. Hey man, we're, hell, they almost lost like three or four different times. Yep, Iowa State is. They lost to Rice by eight points. Dude, I was exactly. Iowa State could end up being a nine or ten win team. Yeah, they lost and like so two or three Texas, games by three points. Based on a few one possession <laughs> situations, so could have Texas, and that's where yeah. the one thing I think we're in. I didn't really think about this till you started talking right then about Tom Herman at Texas. The one thing Tom Herman has done that Texas hasn't had since like. Oh nine, he raised Texas's ceiling. Now, what made this season more frustrating is because you didn't reach it, and that's where these huge questions are. But you saw that Texas has a ceiling yep. with Tom Herman, with talent, with good scheme. Now, this year was things that you could definitely be critical of, and he made admitted mistakes. But Texas doesn't have a ceiling the way that they had for the past decade. You couldn't even compete with the top teams in all football. And this year, you saw Texas be able to at times, and even last year, not only with the amount of sheer talent that you have, that you filled a roster, that then you maximized individuals and players. And that's sort of why this year became so volatile. And it's always going to be directed towards the coach and the team if you don't live up to expectations. But he should also get a little bit of credit for raising that ceiling to have that expectation. And performed the same way that say they did against Ohio or against uh, LSU. And whenever I was watching last night, like just looking at uh, Trevor Lawrence, basically. 
Clemson won that game off of the quarterback draw, and that's all he did. And you just a guy with the quarterback draw, and then off of the draw, just two quick pop passes. Like, literally, Ohio State stopped them all game long unless it was based off of the quarterback draw. There was one thing exploited. They identified it, they exploited it, and they won a one-possession game because of good coaching, because of good things. And, like, I watched that and was just like, that's Texas-Iowa State. But we were running our head into a wall. You throw that pop pass right there, have ETN, it's two receiving touchdowns. They're right there. It's the same idea. So it's just those minuscule details now. You would like to see your team being maximized and you being at that point for every game because it looks like even when Lincoln Riley's in the playoff, he finally loses. But there's not that huge drop-off situation. And certain coaches and certain programs get to that point where you can't have the drop-off, and that's where you want Texas to be. To your point about the coaching in the Clemson-Ohio State game, Clemson, and it's, it, cause you, they had to add something that would give them an advantage of what they use a plus one to run the game with yep. the quarterback. They're like, you know, we got to do it. Within, Even though Trevor Lawrence is hitting a, athleticism. Yeah, exactly. So we'll use that. Once they have to adapt to that, that's when we'll kill them on a pop pass. They also on defense use that. Um, they use that uh, inverted Tampa two oh, that uh, Ohio, Ohio State's been using a ton of and. Ohio State never really D. truly was able to adjust to it. So, I mean, just throwing it out there, just, well, good coach. That's it. No, I mean, and that, that, in the end, details. that gives you the, yeah, the little, listen, the, uh, say, I'm not going to bring up the Dallas Cowboys, for God's <laughs> sakes, all right? But, you know, the Dallas Cowboys this year are a prime example of that. I mean, yep. everybody knows Dallas Cowboys are a talented team. Yeah. yeah. You know, but it's, it's all coaching, man. We know it. Rod, when you talk about competitive balance in the league, one team I thought of was TCU. And you look at TCU season, yeah. they beat Texas, uh, they go to, to what double overtime with Baylor? Uh, they had that call late in the Oklahoma game. Probably should have beaten Oklahoma, and they're sitting at home during bowl season. Exactly, mm. like the Big Twelve. I mean, it, it is, and I'm not, that's not a good it's or like, a bad thing. I'm not complimenting anybody. I'm not degrading. No, it anybody. is what it, it is. is. It is what it's such a it's such a competitive conference. So, my getting back to match point, man. Tom Herman. He, I'm trying. I'm sure he watched every game and went, damn man. It's like eight plays or nine plays right now. There's a difference between us being a seven-win team and a nine-win team. <laughs> you know what I mean? Or maybe ten plays or whatever it is. But it was right there, and it was all because you as a coaching staff didn't adjust here or you didn't adjust here or you didn't have the uh, the right game plan in this game to start off with or whatever it is. That's, but I think two teams you can look at that kind of, to me, encapsulate the, the league and the nature of it, Texas and Baylor. How does Texas go from ten wins to seven? Baylor goes from seven to to, to eleven. Eleven. Yeah. Well, attention to detail. It's it's attention to detail because look how many one possession games you end up playing in this league. Yep. Mm-hmm. And one possession games, Rod, are a thing that typically year over year, if it works for you one year, doesn't work for you the next, and vice versa. Last year. Texas was a pretty good in one possession game. Really good. That means you need to have a great offense. This year, and like, like you said, like you really said, like you start looking at Baylor, like. Their game against Rice was an eight-point game. They probably should have lost to Texas Tech. TCU. Had plenty of chances to lose to TCU. You know, had a big lead on Oklahoma. The Big 12 championship game was an overtime game. Like, I, like, I, I don't was think. Was State a close game with them? Yeah, that was a two-point game. <laughs> so I, don't feel, I don't feel like I'm off my rocker saying when you look at what Baylor's potentially going to lose on the defensive line, especially if James Lynch goes to the NFL. That's true. Yeah, he's gone. If Baylor's 7-5 and five next year, it's not going to surprise me. I, I wouldn't be surprised at all. Because just just because, and it's not anything against Matt Rule. It's just that's the nature of the beast, man. You're you're not going to be as good in one possession games from one year to the next. You're just not, unless you're Lincoln Riley and you can just outscore everybody. I was going to say, and that's why Lincoln Riley is king. Because and when Lincoln Riley goes up against a good defense, his offense doesn't necessarily skip a beat. Right? It doesn't. It it, it doesn't struggle. Tom Herman's offense when it met a defense that was 
admirable or at least above average in the mm-hmm. Big 12 or nationally, that's when his offense would struggle at times. Not versus LSU. He didn't versus LSU. And versus K-State. Those were the two exceptions, but those are also games at home. But against Baylor on the road, TCU on the road, Iowa State on the road, mm-hmm. that offense struggled. Even West that, Virginia. Even though West Virginia West game. Virginia a little bit on the road, too. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like, like if, you, if you don't know you, that was a ten, it wasn't a it wasn't a home game. That's a road game. That's a road like, game. That, game, if that you, environment's you know I mean? crazy. If you, if you don't get four turnovers in that West Virginia game, we, we might be talking about a, a different outcome or at least one that you're not throwing throwback passes to Sam Cosby in the fourth quarter. Exactly. Yeah. No, no. So that's why that's what your is here for. He's for he's here for the the OU game that that TCU game going up against John Heacock, going up against Gary Patterson, yep. going up against now Alex Grinch, you know, and help now uh, OU's defensive coordinator skips my mind for a second. Phil, oh, you're talking about Baylor, Phil Snow. Baylor, Phil Snow. Sorry, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Baylor, Baylor's defensive coordinator skips. Yeah. So it's those kind of four, you know, defensive minds in the Big 12, which are the better defensive mind in the Big 12, you saw Harmon's offense struggle against those teams. And his offense this year was supposed to go, you know, win them games. We knew the defense was going to struggle a little bit. We had been talking about it all offseason. Yeah. But mm-hmm. the offense, we were like, nobody's going to be able to stop this damn offense. Yeah. And they stopped themselves oftentimes uh, the not. And I think for Tom Herman, that was the that's the man in the mirror moment. It's like, you know, against the best defenses, you struggled. Well, the best defense is when you have the worst. Like, you know what I mean? To, since we talked about it a second ago, like he can also look at it, what Ed O said after that LSU game. He's like, we knew we couldn't stop him. Well, then what happened the next 10 games where defenses you got, got worse. to be able to stop? Exactly. And, and yeah. that's what I'm saying, though. Like He it's needs totally to right. look at it like yeah. it's a good, astonishing and, moment. And Longhorn fans quit comparing the Texas performance versus oh, LSU. Gosh. To LSU beating Oklahoma, do not do that. That is no, that no. is really Pointless. embarrassing to us because real football people know that good football teams get better as the year goes on. More reps in games, better players get better, better coaches get better. Everything. All right, and that's what happened to LSU. Right now, LSU would beat Texas. I'm honestly I'm not joking. They beat them by four or five touchdowns. Did the Texas Easy. offense, did oh, yeah. the Texas we offense peak in that LSU and game? And healthy. Like they when did. we look, when we look at the, the body best, of work, that was the best they were. Oh yeah. When we look at the body of work, did the offense peak in week two? It did, but that's not a peak yep. to me because it was the second game of the season. Nobody no, but, knew. Nobody knew who you were. But you're exactly. right. No, no, you're yeah. right. It's a it's a bad peak because <laughs> nobody knew who you were. So when when all football is about is these nerds. And Jeff knows this and Matt knows these, these nerds who are sitting in a dark room watching film for 18 hours out of 24 mm-hmm. hours a day. That's all they do. And they're even in the Saban Belichick thing, they talk about it, right? They talk about how they uh they they basically break down a game, mm-hmm. right? How they uh they chart a game. And he said it takes them like four to five hours to chart a game. And I, I know that because I've done it. Well, you like you're walking down first in first in first and ten. Oh, they got seven now. Oh, they were in shotgun formation. Okay, so shot. Shotgun, shotgun with two back, shotgun with one. I mean, it takes forever, but throughout it, you learn a team really well. You intimately get to know a team if you do that through eight, nine, ten games. And what teams started to get to know about Texas is they're predictable. Yeah. yeah. They're predictable, they're conservative, and that's why Texas versus LSU, to me, yes, it was great and it was awesome. 
But that was Joe Burrow as a baby. He was an infant. <laughs> he was an infant in that offense. Now he's a full mature adult and he is wrecking shots. Dude, he would annihilate Texas right now. Yeah. He would humiliate. He, they would score six to seven to eight touchdowns in the first half. I'm yeah, not I joking. Don't, the, when you look, at, you look at him and, 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 and like – I was trying to think of what can, I can compare the Texas offense to. It's almost like Enron stock, right? Like it went, <laughs> yeah. boom, shot up, and then <laughs> off the cliff. Bitcoin. Off the cliff. And that's what football is, right, as the season goes on. Cowboys. Remember that first game that Cowboys had? How awesome they looked. Oh, man, I was like, yeah. oh, my God. Cowboys going to be in the Super Bowl. And then you realize we're playing the NFC East and the AFC East. How do you realize the NFL started to figure out, all right, this is what the Cowboys are doing. We figured this thing out. I mean, that's – but that's my point is that's that's great coaching by LSU because their players got better as the season wore on. Texas players got worse. Texas yeah, became more predictable. Texas was not a good football team toward the end of the no. year. So let's don't do that. Even that's their not, pieces on defense, right? Like we know, like Derek Stingley's much better now oh than he was in his second game as a true freshman. Like Carrie Carrie Vincent looks much better. Caleb on Chason has gotten better. Even Delpit struggled versus yeah. Texas. Yeah, you know, the other DB that Eagles yeah. scored on, he hadn't done yeah, Fulton, I think. Well, yeah, you're right, Christian Fulton. Yeah, yeah, was struggling in that game. Up now. Yeah. yeah, and you know, I was just trying to think. Maybe I'm. Maybe maybe it was one of the Spurrier quarterbacks. Rod, I don't know if I and I don't want to get too far off on this tangent. No, I know about. But Bart. you look at the Bart. SEC championship yeah. game and, and the Peach Bowl. No, man. I don't know that I've ever seen a quarterback at this level. Like what Vince Young did, that's to me that's, that's different. It is different. But I don't know if I've ever seen a a passer. Distributing the ball as locked in as Joe Burrow is. Right I have now. the only I thing know, like I'll on a lesser it. level because it isn't the complexity of the offense is the record he's about to break because 08 Colt McCoy was in his own, but it was more from an organic relationship. I was going to say it was, and it was yeah. all, it was very close to the line. It's decisive. He was two or three options, but just how decisive he was, and then the ability to execute what his mind saw, but. They had way more limitations on his offense, but it's the yeah. only thing that I've seen somebody that just went out there and you had total confidence. Like, nah, no, I don't think anybody's going to stop this guy. This yeah. is like a, only this is like because of the game. decisions and schemes. Yeah, like, you're, I, you're just toying with people. Yeah, they are. And I will say this, and I, I totally believe it. If you're Cincinnati and you draft Joe Burrow, you better draft Joe Brady. You yep. better bring them together. Don't let them separate. That'd be so stupid. Like this guy, do you realize he was considered a guy that may not get drafted? Yeah, before the before <laughs> like eight, the Texas nine game. Nine months ago, they were like, "No, nah, I don't know if he's gonna get drafted." He's like a fifty-eight percent completion percentage guy. Now he's at seventy-eight percent. Are you serious? You got to marry those. Two. And that guy, and, it, and it's one, and we know one difference that came in, one factor that contributed to it mostly was Joe Brady coming in. If you are Cincinnati and you don't offer him mm-hmm. not only co OC job but the you know whatever he wants, co- whatever the hell, yeah, yep, all you. of it, totos, totos. Yeah, you're right, you're right. You're Cincinnati. You're not the Patriots. You're not freaking. See, you're that's not, the problem. Yeah, that's you're, what's going to screw you up. You're Cincinnati. Right, you're not San Fran right now. You're not. Yeah, you're not. You're not Green Bay. You're Cincinnati. Just give him the damn job as the OC. I'm with you. I'm sorry about that. You're right. I was being way too concerned. It's almost give him the too OC easy. job, pay him a ton of money, and say, listen, just be Joe Brady's quarterback nurturer. Sorry, Joe, Bur- Joe Burrow's quarterback nurturer. Just nurture him and do what you did at LSU. We'll run whatever you want to run. Let's just do it. Because you know what? Honestly, Joe Brady's the difference, man, and he's, it, it, it's it's unbelievable, and it shows you. It shows. It should show Tom Harmon. This is, this is the lesson, right? This is the lesson we all got to learn, that – in a nature versus nurture discussion about quarterbacks, 
that it's more about nurture. Yes, the nature. You gotta have. You gotta have something. You gotta have some natural skills, right? Uh, mm-hmm. uh, Mike Lee says, never, never, never uh, acquire a quarterback. Never recruit them. Never draft them. Whatever. If they're not accurate, he's the yep. one thing that he always says. I don't give a damn how tall he is. I don't give a damn. Well, the only yeah. common he, thing he has yeah, he can't, QBs. If he can't hit the, you know, if he can't hit the bullseye when I need him to, then I don't want. I don't want that guy on my roster. Period. Yeah. And I kind of believe that too. But every everybody's got their things physically that you have to. You gotta meet those those that, that criteria. But other than that, man, it's about nurture. Like, put him in right. Lamar Jackson, we're seeing it at the NFL level. Like, we're seeing it at the college level. Joe Burrow's considered, Sam Ellinger was considered better than Joe Burrow. And, and some people's, I think I think it was, man, if I'm not mistaken, Tom McShay had him as undrafted. It was McShay, yeah. It was McShay? Yeah. Undra- and not, McShay knows his stuff. He's not a scrub. But I think that's what Joe Burrow was in everybody's eyes. And now he's the number one overall pick in the draft. And he's not even close. Guys, put him in the right system. Yes. And this is, the, this is what hurt me about Sam. Sam Ellinger. Last year, coming off that that senior that that sophomore season that he had, he had at least twenty five touchdowns, at least 50, uh, 25 touchdowns passed, at least fifteen rushing touchdowns, and all the other quarterbacks in the BCS era who had done that had won Heisman trophies. Yeah, we were thinking to ourselves, "Oh man, this dude is about to have a Vince Young, Colt McCoy type year," and he really had a great year. He had a great year, but I think it was wasted because he didn't get better. I think Sam is basically the same quarterback he was. Stati- his when, year. when it when it ends statistically, the only season a Texas quarterback will have ever had that's better than what Sam Ellinger will have done this year is Colt McCoy in 08. Yeah, it's crazy. No, no, and, and I will say this: I, I think I saw him make NFL throws. I saw him make like more NFL throws this year, but ultimately, Sam underachieved this year, and I don't think it's all his fault. Some of that is on him, of course, as a player. You got to take that onus. But right. the system that he was in. God, it really lowered his ceiling, man. It just it stunted his growth and development and evolution as a player. And when I watch Joe Burrow and I watch his uh, ascent to greatness, I just can't think to myself to to, to Tom Herman, like that should be a red alert red alert to you. You had a Joe, you had a guy that everybody said was better than Joe Burrow, and now Joe Burrow's better than your guy. Oh, he's better than everybody else in the country too, by the way. But my point is, I think for Tom Herman, he's got to figure out. Who's his Joe Brady? Is Mike Yurcich that guy? If he is, great. But you got to figure out how to get the best out of Sam Millen because you're mm. wasting a truly yeah. once in a I don't say once in a lifetime, once in a decade, once in a I don't know. You have a you have a, prov- a you have a proven talent. you have a proven commodity yeah. at that position, Rod. And in this program, how long have you every has everybody been waiting for? Okay. Just you just for so long we just wanted somebody who was competent. Now you have a guy that you know it can be a championship caliber guy. Like you have enough evidence that you believe, okay, in the right set of circumstances, Sam Ellinger can go win you a championship. Yep. And when you talk about Mike Yurcich and you look at the quarterbacks he's had, when he was at Oklahoma State, they won ten games and nearly won the conference using a two quarterback system with Clint Shelf and J.W. Walsh. I remember that. They went to a bowl game with Dax Garman as their quarterback mm-hmm. for most of the year. Hey, hell, look what he got out of Taylor Cornelius, out of Corn Dog. Corn Dog, baby. Yeah, that's yeah, you know? And with corn to dog. your point on the just <laughs> one player and changing like uh, that catalyst that is able to do it, it's just so key because like you can look at NBA and you see it all the time marrying together. Like, what was the Mark mm-hmm. Jackson, St- Steph Curry? It wasn't You're the right. Steve Kerr version. Well, what point. was the Jason Kidd, Giannis? It wasn't mm-hmm. the, your Mike Budenholzer, yeah. the Dan Tony. Yeah. Same idea. And the, it's like it's a cliche, but yeah. you, I heard about – I forgot who said 
said it back in the day, but there's some coach talking about if you take away one compound and carbon dioxide will give you life, carbon monoxide will kill you. And, like, literally it's that dip, changing one scientific compound in anything yeah, totally could make good. something totally blow up. Now, it's not to say that the one that you change is going to actually activate it, but if you get the right mind to marry with it, you, you don't it. have the opposite yeah. version where there's, we were totally fooled in 1999 and didn't know who the hell. Look at Tim Couch throwing all over the SEC. First overall pick. It's like, well, that was the system doing it. Now the guy was married in like, now we're on that opposite end where you can see that yeah. the marriage of the two can propel a guy because it exactly. really is absurd to <laughs> think if Joe Burrow wasn't draftable, but now he's the best. It's sort of indicting of the system and systems. of the scouts exactly. and everything. Yes. And not in, us totally not agree. knowing that what we're watching and a few people really, really knowing, like your buddy Shano, who's like, I when you were talking about watching film, he looks like a vampire right now because he's so pale from being in Exactly looking right. at this yeah, stuff yeah. all the time. You should, like, yeah. that's what those people are. Rick Pitino's been a pale man his whole life. All he's doing, <laughs> locked up. And, this is hilarious. There's two. There's, just marry those things. There's two, there's two non-Texas. No, right. There's two at the college level. There's two non-Texas examples that jump out to me for what you guys are talking about. And then two Texas examples that I want to touch on that Rod kind of encapsulates what you were talking about with the Sam Ellinger dynamic. I think back to Carson Palmer, the year he won the Heisman at USC. Like, Carson Palmer – was a highly recruited guy, and mm-hmm. it just they went through a series of offensive coordinators that. and coaching, coaching changes. changes. And Pete what did Pete Carroll do? Hired Norm Chow, yep. and then all of a sudden Carson Palmer. It's like, oh my God, that's the guy we all thought we were going to see. He's a Heisman mm-hmm. Warriors, number one draft pick. Carson Palmer was garbage for a few years at USC, that's a good point. and looked like a bust. And then all of a sudden, oh, he's a Heisman winner, number one pick in the draft. Uh, Kyler Murray going from Texas A&M to Oklahoma. Mm-hmm. Like, we talked about it last year. And I know there's people, oh, how's it going to work? Like, I-, I can tell you how it's going to work. <laughs> they're going to win a lot of freaking games yeah, yeah. and put up a lot of freaking Lincoln numbers. Riley's because it's Lincoln Riley and Kyler again. Murray. Like, they're, Ky- Lincoln Riley's going to unlock things in Kyler Murray that Kevin Sumlin never had a chance to do. Mm-hmm. The two Texas examples are Vince Young. When was Vince Young really good? As has famously been said, when they just let Vince Young be Vince Young, when Greg Davis made the decision, look, if this is going to work, we got to go all in on Vince Young. And yep. marrying Whatever kind of what like the Ravens are doing yeah. with Lamar Jackson. Like whatever it takes, yeah. we're going to go all in on this. Yeah. Guy. He's that special. If it's going to work. was the difference then. It's the same reason that Vince Young and Chris Johnson ran for 2,000 yards in like the 2008 yeah. or whatever. The other side of that for Texas was Garrett Gilbert. Yeah. And getting a guy who came, from a, been fine. who came from a sophisticated spread yeah. offense at Lake Travis, one with Jeff Dykus, one with Chad Morris, <laughs> and – you get him, and now you want to have like a bit, put fullbacks on the field and high formation and get down the run game. And, and you know, I go, I go back to that staff meeting they had when they got back from Pasadena. Maybe and, a young Chris Whaley at running back. And the, uh, the the argument that I heard, and I'm sure, I'm sure I've told the story before, the, the argument I heard was on one side of the table was Mac McCorder and, and Greg Davis kind of pounding the table. We, we we need to be a downhill run team. We need to we need to get in the eye formation. We need to pound people. And on the other side was Will Muschamp saying. Why the hell do we need to change what we're doing? Well, it, it works. Will and Major. If, it ain't, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Exactly. Because uh, he's a defensive guy, and he was like, I can tell you what's whipping me. Yeah. These damn air raids. Yes. <laughs> These air raids are whipping me. Y'all brought me yeah. to the Big yeah. 12, and I don't know what the hell yeah. this is. Yeah. So it, it's just, you know, and I, I think that speaks to the talent Sam Ellinger has, that even though, mm-hmm. you know, in this year where the offense has been just so helter-skelter throughout the year, it's been it's either been feast or famine. It's, they're either great in putting up numbers or yep. they're awful and they're a detriment to the cause. Uh, to put up the numbers he has just kind of shows you his talent, but that's the frustrating thing. It's no different, Rod, than Dak Prescott, right? That's exactly right. Like, you, why don't we the talk about thing. Texas and the Cowboys kind of mirroring each other? Yeah. But I look at, to me, Sam Ellinger and Dak Prescott are the same guy. Like, 
if you can really find somebody that can really unlock his game and play to his strengths and understand what he is and what he can do to play winning football, you got a lot of games with that guy. Is he perfect? No. But that's the challenge for you as an offensive coordinator or quarterback's coach to figure out, okay, this is what we need to do to make him successful more often than not. Are there going to be games where you're outnumbered and outmatched and, and they've got a better plan for you? Yeah, but – Exactly. You come back the next week, you fix it, and, and and you move on, and you roll with it. Yeah, no, I totally agree. So I think I think football is getting to that. Uh, Tom Herman, I, I mean, I'm sure he's on that bandwagon. He's a progressive guy, but Sam Ellinger's got to be a part of that discussion too. I mean, that's why mm, he's thinking. Of, he, he's thinking about the next level. Yeah, and, I mean, and that's, that's probably why he's thinking about it because the game I mean, is that's changing. why you're that's why you're a pro, Rod. Hell of a segue, uh, <laughs> Sam Ellinger. Uh, as today, as we record this, I was down in San Antonio for some Alamo Bowl stuff. Sam Ellinger did confirm, as he should that he filed the paperwork to the NFL's College Advisory Committee to get his grade back. Herb Hand told me Sam Cosme did the same thing as a draft-eligible sophomore. Rod, it's almost easier to talk about Cosme because I think, depending on what comes back, that could be a decision he's got to make. Yeah, because he could end up easily getting a first-round grade. I could see that. And if he gets a first-round grade, you got to make that decision. Sam's not going to get a first-round grade. No. And I mean, I think the grades are first, second, go, go back, back to, to school, school mm-hmm. if I'm not mistaken. Which I like that actually. By the way, it's one of the things yep. I like. First, and by the way, I think yeah, I think even Patrick Mahomes got a second. Well, yeah, they round never give you really. Uh, yeah, so, so they always underestimate it because they that. don't want to be they don't want to be liable for you getting bad information. So usually, yep. whatever you are, they they get your grade. If it's high, they're gonna drop you down like, probably 10, 15 spots. Like Chase Young and CD Lamb are getting first round grades. Like if you're looking uh, at projection, yes. it's your floor projection. <laughs> yeah, pretty. Much. Much. So, you know, it's just smart business, though. I'm glad Sam's doing it. I think yeah. Cole did it 2000, at 2008, too. And you then should you do get it. the feedback. Like, not only yeah. is it smart to test the fields, gauge things, or even just learn the process yeah. and get information, but then to get the feedback now, which has changed over the last five totally years, agree. it's even more advantageous where it incentivizes the kid, even if they aren't thinking about it. They want you, it's smart for you to go do it. Yeah. You're the no, group, no, the group of guys man. that did it last year. You know, Colin Johnson did it. Yeah. Uh, I think L- LJ Humphrey did it. Malcolm Roach, I know, was the guy that, that put his mm-hmm. name in there. So, yeah, I mean, it's good man. I, I would have done it if it was available back in the day. I mean, I would have done it. And I would have been leaving. Free NFL But I just did it just to see where I got. I mean, see where I, I mean, stood. I mean, literally, it's a free consultation yeah, from the NFL. It's just free cons- consultation. College. So, I think, I think it's just a smart move by Sam. I don't think Sam's leaving. I don't think no matter what grade Sam gets, he ain't leaving. I think if Sam gets a first-round grade, he ain't leaving. I seriously believe that. Because I, I always said Sam always dreamt of being a longhorn player and he always wanted to be the quarterback for the Texas Longhorns. I don't think he's ready for that ride to end, especially after this season. Now, if they had won you know, 10, 11 games and went to a, another big-time bowl game, I ain't gonna lie, if he gets a good grade, he might be thinking about, you know what, I'm, I, I like the way things are going. I'm, you know, I don't, I don't think he wants his story at Texas to end with a seven, potentially eight-win season. Yeah, Texas I, is lucky. It's the yeah. love of his life. Yeah. Like, I think, and it got nothing to do with Herman either because I know people are like, well, if he leaves, that means it's, you know, it's a bad reflection on Herman. That's true. I believe that. If he leaves, that means stuff is really effed up back loved. there behind the burnt orange curd. Exactly. But I don't think that's going to happen because I don't think the reason he came to Texas had anything to do with Tom Herman. Jeff Howe could have been coaching Texas, and Sam Mellinger still would have come to Texas. Yes. It could have been the 88th-ranked recruiting class in the country, and Sam Mellinger still still would have come to Texas. Mm-hmm. Osama bin Laden could have been coaching Texas, and he still would have come to Texas. He loves I might have Texas. advised against that. But. Yeah, I know, but you get my point. Yeah. Like, he still he would have come to Texas. Go and fight for Texas. Yeah, like he's just, he just loves the brand. It's the kind of guy right. you want, actually, by the way. We've yeah. seen right. the baby photo. Uh, so I think we all agree that 
Sam Ellinger is not going to get a first-round grade. But no. it's one of those deals, Rod, like you can't win the lottery unless you buy a ticket, right? I agree, brother. Yeah. <laughs> and he's made, listen, he made NFL throws this year. There were some throws I could think of four or five of them on the top of my head where I was like, that was an NFL throw. Mm-hmm. Most of them to Devin Duvernay, but that's <laughs> yeah. that's why that helps. But uh, that I, I think he I think he matured. I think he that deep he broke he broke he had been typecast for a while because everybody kept throwing. He's a mini Tim Tebow. Reminds me of Tim Tebow. Like every broadcast, he reminds me of Tebow. Bam, bam, Sam. Uh, well, actually, I came with Bam, bam, Sam. They weren't saying yeah. that, but you get my point. Everybody had viewed him You're as a guy, basically a fullback playing quarterback. And I think this year. Even though they should have used him more as a runner, I was actually upset they didn't use him more as a runner. Um, I think he broke the mold of that typecast and that stigma and that reputation that, oh man, he's just a, a running quarterback that can throw it at times. No, Sam can sit back in the pocket and pick you apart. Of course, the LSU game, I think, really threw him on that platform. People saw what he did versus LSU. Right. So I think Sam is on his way to getting NFL scouts. I remember, I think it was a. Uh, Lewis Riddick that threw it out there about, you know, he watched him at the camp. At oh, one Bucky of the, Brooks. It was Bucky, Bucky Brooks. Brooks. Yeah, yeah, sorry about that. Yeah, Bucky Brooks. At yeah. Elite 11. Yeah, 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 at the Elite 11 camps. And he said something about Sam's throwing ability. And so, yeah, I mean, I think Sam's getting some NFL attention. That's what he should. Yeah, the Cosme situation to me is interesting because, I mean, young athletic offensive tackle who's – I mean, I don't know that all of Cosme's film, if you start breaking it down this year, is going to be great film, especially when you talk about an offensive line that you gave up more sacks than anybody in the Big 12. But – uh, Rod, it wouldn't it wouldn't completely shock me if he got a grade to where he really has to say, "Well, I'm, I need to sit down and think about this." Uh, yeah, Cosme. I'm not saying it's going to happen, but a, it, wouldn't, a, it wouldn't shock me. I mean, he was getting first round noise projections. Say, yeah, first round. Uh, he was getting some first round love. I think in the preseason when they were doing like I don't know, way too early draft, uh, you know, mock drafts and stuff. So I wouldn't doubt that. I mean, even Colin Johnson last year was getting way too early first-round draft love. So, I mean, it, yeah, guys can get that. But so Brandon like, Jones' name pop up. Yeah, uh, like that doesn't that doesn't mean a damn. I'm going to tell you right now, it doesn't mean a damn. Yeah. I mean, those guys, could if the NFL falls in love with them, the draft process is so long, it's yeah. so arduous, so many ways for you to fall off, so many ways for you to dr- lose stock value. Anybody thought Lil' Jordan Humphrey was going to go undrafted yeah. coming out? Or I mean, if the right eyeballs see you. The right eyeballs see you, they love no. you. I, like, I, think, I think Devin Duvernay right now is not on a lot of people's you know, he's not on that radar, but I think once he goes through the draft process, people look at him, look at his background, skill set. They're going to fall in love with Duvernay. He's going to shoot up. He's going to yeah. skyrocket up draft boards. And if he doesn't, he'll do what, Pete, he'll Pete do Carroll what, will pick him up. Yeah, yeah, no, he will. I think he'll shoot up draft boards. But some guys don't fall uh, off draft boards just because, of you know, maybe it, uh, the position that they're in is really loaded that year, whatever it is. It's just so many different <laughs> factors that are outside of your control. And here's the bottom line with, for me on, on the draft stuff. Both those guys, I would, I would almost guarantee both those guys are coming back. Like I think Cosme could, maybe have a decision to make, but I, I tend to think both those guys are coming back. If they do ride, then you get to January and you can, both those guys can put out public statements. You know, obviously I weighed the NFL process. I've decided to return to Texas. Yep. If you're Tom Herman, you spin that into a PR positive. And yeah. Lord knows this program needs as many PR positives as they can get in the off season. This is true. Yeah, especially when it comes to players and guys wanting to be uh, loyal to the yeah. program. And I think, you know, we know what what's at stake for Sam Ellinger going into his senior year, but I think if Cosme comes back, he's probably a preseason All-American type guy. He's, in, he's in that consideration. Should be, yeah, no question. He's a big 12 honors guy, you know. Uh, yeah. 
national honors candidate, all that fun stuff going into next year. Yeah. No, no, I I, I totally agree with that. And I, I think both of those guys will end up coming back, but I'm with you. Sam Cosby, he may be the one to decision to make. I don't think there's anything to worry about with Maybe Sam. a decision to make. Maybe a decision to make. No, no, it would just be smart. I mean, listen, I've always said if you can go if you can go get paid, all right, for reps, you need to go get paid for reps. And a guy like Sam Cosme, second round, to me, honestly, second round money in the NFL is good money. I don't oh, know yeah. when I mean people are like, second round, he could be a first round. I'm like, dude. Ask Connor Williams how good that second yeah, round money is. Second round money is good money. You can and you, right now you're just playing for the second contract anyway. Everybody's playing for the second contract as they got the rookie wage scale. Get you there quicker Yeah, too. you're trying to get there quicker. So if honestly, if he gets a second round grade, I can see Cosme going, I'm out, man. I'm second round, I'm good. Like yeah. I, I'll get a I'll get a few million dollar signing bonus, I'll be okay. Yeah. yeah. Well, the next time we'll see Sam Ellinger and Sam Cosby both is going to be in the Alamo Bowl on New Year's Eve. Rod, are you heading down there? I am not heading down there, actually. So, I mean, I don't have to go. It's mm. pretty good. Yeah. I'm not going to San Antonio. <laughs> if I don't have to go to San Antonio, I'm not going. I'm not going to lie to you. I love Texas football, but if I don't have to go to San Antonio, I'm not going. So okay. I won't be at the game, but, of course, I'll be covering the game. Real quick, I don't want to belabor this point. What is the official Longhorn Blitz what do we put our stamp on San Antonio? Yay or nay? I love San Antonio. I'm a big fan, but I, I, I mean, if, listen, it's it, it's. I'm the, from Austin, so like I only go to San Antonio for an event. Like, <laughs> like you guys, and like I only go there. Oh, the, a spur game, or like I had a work gig to do something, and, but like it's always sort of coming I, back to Austin. I disagree with Charles Barkley. I think they got fine women because <laughs> I've dated women from San Antonio, and they got some fine women. Uh, so trust me, that ain't the issue. The food is damn good. They do have damn good food too. I just, you know, I mean, it's the fourth best city in Texas. What do you want me to say? And they know that. They that should, should be know a compliment. that. Exactly. That's not. It. I'm not being. Am I being hateful? Four there? out of a thousand. You're not better, like you're, they're not better in Austin. Everybody in Houston not better in Dallas. All right. Like every, we all know that. I'm just saying what's true. Can you put them five behind Fort Worth? Well, and then even I think I can, I do Fort Worth is a DFW thing, so okay. I put all that together. Yeah, yeah. You know I mean, but you're right. You probably could if you like because yeah, Dallas is a little bit like yeah, South yeah. Oklahoma. I won't go there. I like San Antonio. I'm not dissing San Antonio, but if I, I'm like mad, if I don't have to go, I'm not. I going. think to me, it's just like <laughs> yeah. got spoiled. I'm from Austin. He's like no reason <laughs> yeah. to go there. What exactly. are you gonna do better yeah. there? I think my thing with San Antonio is like the Alamo Dome is just such like to me, it just feels like such a soul crushing, depressing place to be that. <laughs> to me, it like brings down the rest of the city. I know, and everybody wants it to San Antonio to be like another, like a, a major sports town. You know, the Spurs, of course, great, love the Spurs, dynastic. We all know that, but you know, they've been talked about bringing a major league baseball team there, bringing a major league soccer team there. You know, NFL team potentially coming there, and and, and we all know it's never going to happen. We you, all know it's, it's yeah. there's no there's no chance. You want to get San Antonio? You want to get San Antonio people? You want to get San Antonio people? Give you some. Hot sports opinions and get rowdy rod. Bring up, bring up Austin getting an MLS franchise in San Antonio, not getting. But the one. truth is, Austin has more money than San right. Antonio. The truth that's what that's why Austin, San Antonio will never get it because Austin has more billionaires. That's what it, people think it's crazy. Go, just go count the number of billionaires per city and like kind of per per state, and usually that's where your large sports franchises are. Uh-huh. And and Houston. Lots of billionaires. Dallas, lots of billionaires. Austin actually has more billionaires than San Antonio. It's we got a, like, I think we got, oh, was it like 10 or 15? We got like 10, like 10 billionaires here, like around here. They but only like, got Red McCombs, probably. Well, actually, I don't know, but I, I want to say we got a lot more, we got more billionaires there in San Antonio. I don't know what the number is exactly, so don't. But like with, with the Alamo, though, it's like, you know, San Antonio put in a bid with the, with the CFP committee to host a national championship game, and it's almost like, can you see Bill Hancock, like, patting the 
just the city of San Antonio on the head and be like, thanks, thanks for the bid, little buddy. Appreciate that. <laughs> no, I, listen, I, I like the Alamo Bowl, though. It's actually, I've heard it's a good bowl. I remember the, guys, the, they like the Alamo the bowl, Bowl. The bowl, like the, bowl. Pe- the bowl people and the, the, the yeah. committee and the organization is, is fine. And 56 great. billionaires in Texas, though, just so you know. I got that. I don't know how many are in Austin, but 56 in Texas. But anyway, <laughs> enough about the Alamo Dome. Hey, let's <laughs> just talk about this talking billionaires. Let's talk about the bowl game. Rod, when I look at this game, we've talked about this, and, and I've looked at it from a number of different ways. And one advantage Texas has in this game is the Texas passing game against the Utah secondary, which is depleted. We knew Julian Blackman and R.J. Hubert, two of their safeties, were going to be out with injuries. Now Jalen Johnson, their All-American corner, doesn't even make the trip. He's declared for the NFL draft, and he's skipping the bowl game. So this is a Utah secondary with two All-Americans who will not be on the field. They moved Jason Shelley, their backup quarterback, to safety for this game to get him ready just so they can have depth. If if Sam Ellinger has time to get rid of the football, Texas has an advantage there. But, Rod, as we talked about with this game, when this matchup was announced, if the Texas offensive line cannot deal with the Utah defensive front, nothing else in this game is going to matter. Yeah, I will say this, though. I don't know. and Maybe I just had too much time to my homerism to start, you know, flaring up. I think Texas is going to beat Utah. I like it. I know, I know. Well, it sounds well, okay. Just, it. just, just, just hear me out, and you guys let me know if I'm crazy and insane. This is the research that I've done. Go for it. We'll break it down. Because only three games really this year where Utah's even struggled mm-hmm. at all. They have the two losses, of course, right? Lost to USC, lost to Oregon, and then there's a Washington game that was within five points. That's the only games that have really within been been within one score or they lost. Other than that, they've blown everybody. No one's even watched the other games. Because they really don't give you kind of a true representation of, of, of them, of Utah, under pressure. Right. And also one of the things in common about those three games is they're all away from home. True. At Washington, at USC, and the, and the Pac-12 title game was at Levi, I believe, where the uh, Santa, Santa Clara, yeah. right? So away from home, a little bit of a different team, which I think everybody is, right? Even Texas' best offensive game, they were at home versus LSU, versus K-State, away from home. Texas Standard. sucked offensively. Right? Standard. So I think that I know people are like, oh, well, that's it's not, a built-in not advantage of Texas. But it is in Texas. That's a huge home yes. field advantage for Texas, especially for be. a bowl because you're away even longer. This is yeah. a week long one. Utah and Utah's a really good team, but when they've played against teams who in the Pac-12, you can, I think, we can all say with confidence, have a talent, a clear, decisive talent advantage over Utah. Who? USC. Yep. Oregon. Wash. Probably Washington. Everybody else, you're like, ah, UCLA? Nah, I'm not sure. Cal? I'm not sure. Arizona? Arizona State? I'm not sure. But we know Washington, Oregon, USC, talent advantage over Utah. Utah knows Texas has a talent advantage over Utah. Everybody knows that. Everybody, that's not, even, that's not a question. Yo, that's a, even in the Big 12, Texas has a talent advantage over everybody in the Big 12 other than Oklahoma, but that doesn't mean they're going to beat them. It just means talent advantage. But that is something all those other three teams have in common. If you go look at the best quarterbacks that Utah has played, who are the best quarterbacks they played in the Pac-12? Justin Herbert, 
Justin Henry, uh, Jacob Eason. Jacob Eason at Washington. Keaton Slovis. Whoever the USC tried out there. They brought in like their third string. Oh, yeah, Slovis was was, was hurt, wasn't he? Was Matt Fink? Matt Fink Fink came in. Yeah, Yeah. Matt Fink came in. They went through three of them. I want to say, yeah, you're right. Matt Fink came in because Slovis, I think, started the game and got hurt. And Slovis had just started the game before, blew everybody away. Then he got hurt, so Fink came in. And I was like, damn, Graham Harrell, you're throwing all over him with your third stringer in the second half. So... I'm just throwing it out there. I think Sam Ellinger is not good, not as good as Herbert. But Herbert, by the way, didn't kill him passing the ball. He ran it down the throat. Oregon's first team to actually run it down the throat. USC ran for, I want to say like, like oh, man, like 53 yards. And, man, Washington ran for like a, like a 20-something yard. It was like, like nobody was able to run the ball on Utah all year long. And then Oregon did it at the end of the year. Though, and Justin Herbert really didn't kill him, but he made some big-time throws downfield once the running game got going, play-action pass deep downfield. So I'm just looking at, at the three or four different things that the teams that gave Utah trouble had in common. Elite quarterback play, or close to elite quarterback play, Texas has that. Decisive, clear talent advantage, Texas has that. USC's going to be away from home. Oh, sorry, um, Utah. Utah's going to be from home. Texas has that, all right, that advantage because they'll be playing in Texas, in San Antonio. And honestly, the this will be I, I may be wrong about this. Maybe I'm being a homer. I think Texas has the best wide receiving core argue, other than like USC. USC's got a really good one too. That Utah will face all year. With a healthy if, if Colin Collins, Johnson is healthy. He's healthy. I was at exactly. pra- I was at practice on See? Saturday, it, watching him run around, watching him run around a little bit on Sunday. Yeah. He's playing. USC's wide receiving core is legit. I love it. Amara St. Brown, Michael Pittman, like they're loaded. Mm-hmm. They got a lot of guys that Texas needs. <laughs> Texas would love to have those guys too. Yeah, we had one up at one point. <laughs> Ryan Brew McCoy. So, but Texas with a Kelty Colin Johnson, guys, even LSU had issues trying to cover both of those guys and a healthy Brandon Eagles on the outside. That's going to give any secondary issues, I promise you. It, when, he- when Colin Johnson wasn't healthy, of course, Texas couldn't use that, that, that advantage and take the top off of defense and also have Devin DuVernay working underneath. But both those guys can beat man-to-man coverage. You have to double both of them. They both, they both have gravity, meaning the safeties will be uh, – linebackers will be attracted to them. I think it's a, it's, it, that matchup is going to give Utah some issues. On the other side, Utah is the best defense that Texas – Will face probably since the 2010 Nebraska defense statistically. Well, it is statistically. It's the terms, best defense I will face since 2010 Nebraska. In terms of in terms Definitely of their since 09 Nebraska. In terms of their uh, 2010 Nebraska was pretty well, good too. I know, I know. I'm just in terms so of we their, beat that team. We beat that team. Yes. In terms of their, pro- their production, their presence, Rod, I agree with Man you. All over them. The difference is there's obviously no Indomitian Sue. Yes, Bradley and I has what twelve and a half sacks. Yeah, and they got some. They got some. Players. But Matt, I, you've got the Football Outsiders numbers pulled up, and when I started looking at Utah, there were some numbers that okay correlate. Like I think they're fifteenth in the country and uh, their run defense, their defensive line in terms of defending the run. Yep. I think they're fifteenth in the country standard in downs. standard down line yards, seventeenth. I want to say in line and just uh, regular line yards per carry. I might have those mixed up, but I started looking at like. Stuff rate, I think they're like 45th. Yep. Their sack rates, I think, are in the 50s and 60s. So yep. in terms of that production, I was like, okay, not as robust as I thought it was going to be. It's not, dis- it's not truly a disruptive defense there line. You, you initially Rod, like, they're going to be really disruptive. It's like, yeah. actually, no. They're just, they're just really, really disciplined and fundamentally sound. But they don't – even Baylor's defensive line arguably is more disruptive. Oh, no, without question. Without question. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, and you brought it up, but just, I mean, going back to the Oregon game, against Oregon, it was C.J. Verdell just went all over them. But if you look at, like, the advanced box score and start breaking down some of the numbers, like – Oregon had no passing downs. They only threw the ball six times in passing downs. They were just in standard downs <laughs> the whole to. time. They just ran, and just that's ran the main it. thing. If Texas can win the battle up front, like Jeff said, nothing overwhelming on the D-line, very good. But if you can like have schematically helped out your guys and get a few holes opened up on the line and do a few things just to be average, just to be able to keep on schedule and then be able to throw in some type of standard situations, they should be able to get manipulated because Oregon Oregon just obliterated them, and it yeah. was strictly because Herbert, all he was doing was had them in situations where they didn't know what was coming and was yeah. able to throw all over them. Yeah. yeah, they had six passing downs the entire game, and they won thirty-seven to fourteen. So they were throwing the, it on rundowns. Yeah, exactly. When they would throw it, yeah. And yeah. then you have Verdell going eighteen rushes for two hundred eight yards, and then that Oregon offensive line, which wasn't here, I'll look it up real quick. But that's I don't one of believe, the best old lines in the country, though. We'll say that too. Yeah, I mean, but still, Oregon, yeah, they, yeah, yeah. they rate though if you look just to like line yards per carry texas much better than oregon now that's indicting no, of no, what no, texas is, yeah. production is but if you look at oregon finished 38th 26th and then i guess 81st on pass downs but you're talking top 25 texas was in the top 10 top 11 and then 39th overall so at least when you look at that then it's up to your skill guys to make guys miss that verdell dude is electric he made a lot of guys miss but who knows maybe that could be indicting of some tackling it's going to come down to the basic stuff texas don't miss tackles hopefully you can get your guys in space make some miss tackles and then you got a good little rest right i think this is a game for texas offensively where i would like to see them do things that can attack the structural integrity of the Utah defense. And what I mean by that is yeah. can can you use can you use motion? Can you do can you do some more, you know, bunch formations and things that we've talked about Speed all it up year. A little bit more. Some twenty personnel, yeah. some tempo. Yeah. Just try to get them out of sorts because man, this is a game if you just let them hang back in their base defense and just play you straight up, they will eat you alive. But I, I, I do like the matchup because I want to know how they're going to play Colin Johnson and DuVernay in the slot. I would, haven't I seen mean, anything like yeah, that. Like, I, I don't think – yeah, I, I know it sounds crazy, but, man, and, and DuVernay's been so disrespected in the postseason. Of I, I, you know, we had a press conference days Saturday and Sunday yeah. this week, and <clears throat> Texas had their defensive press conference, and the Utah defense went like – Morgan Scalley is just sitting there by himself. So I was like, when am I going to get to chop it up with Morgan Scalley again? Yeah, Probably yeah. never. So I went yeah. over there and talked to Morgan Scalley for about 10 minutes. Nice. And he loves Devin Duvernay. Who doesn't? I love Duvernay. <laughs> yeah. Belichick to the point where he's like, right he's like the kid. Duvernay's like, how do you say the kid's last name? I was like, Duvernay. He's like, Duvernay. There you like, go. Love that kid. <laughs> Duvernay. <laughs> yeah. No, because he is. I mean, I'm, I'm telling you, like, he is. He's so productive. He's the one constant this year, even more so than Sam Cosme. Or Sam Ellinger. Or, I mean, he's the constant. It's His him. His success could almost it's be so indicting because it, you, why wouldn't you want to funnel everything through I, him? And I, then I remember being excited that um, 50% of Colin Johnson's targets last year resulted in a first on a touchdown. Duvernay. For Duvernay, it's like 54%. He <laughs> started the year over 75%. More, like the first, he has more was, receiving first downs than any player in the country. And what do we figure? Like probably 60% of his receptions are within five yards of the line of scrimmage? Yeah. So, I mean, this, so I, I know they're going to have an issue with him. And yeah. if, I know they're going to devote two guys to him. If they don't, they're stupid. And Scally's a way smarter guy than I am. So he's going to devote two guys to him. But what are you going to do about that other freak out there, Colin Johnson? Which is why healthy. a healthy Colin Johnson, I mean, is the X Factor. That's what I'm saying. So, yeah. to me, 
you got a guy that can take the top off the defense because you're going to put a safety on the top of him. If you don't, oh, man, all day, every day, Sam's going. And Sam's deep ball is beautiful, and it's pretty, and it's going to land right there for a healthy Colin Johnson. And who, by the way, who knows? And he said that he doesn't regret his decision to come back. All right. And I don't I think that was a smart decision for him to come back. Hell, Lil Jordan Humphrey now looking back probably should have come back too. But Lou, I would say that Con Johnson was getting first round love. I, I got it written down in one of my pads of all the mock drafts I read where he yeah. was projected as a first rounder. I had like five or six different mock drafts where like, no, he's a first round guy. And I think him coming back and he understands like I got injured, it didn't go the way he got but he's a he's a he's a you know, he's a legacy guy. You know, so I think he's in it for a deeper cause, and even even hell, he's on like, even more so than Sam Ellinger. But he understands. I think his dad has explained to him this game, though. Everybody mm-hmm. knows you've been hurt all season. Everybody understands that. But this game, yeah, showcase. you have one of them games where you had in the Big Twelve title game where you you go out for a hundred and some ninety something receiving yes. yards or whatever it is. They will, everybody will forget all about the season and go. That's the guy that deserves to be drafted in the first round. Don't even remember. Don't even forget about that season. That's the guy. No, if, if he has. If he has one of those games, then going into the Senior Bowl, he's a guy that yeah. people will be talking about. Like, okay, keep and both an eye those on guys are going to Senior Bowl, Roy right? Williams those, had two two guys, those two and guys, Johnson. and Brandon. James. And that, that, that actually will that will raise their draft stock because they'll be really good in one on ones and all that. My point is, I I don't think Utah has an answer for that. Their answer will be getting pressure on Sam to try to nullify or mitigate the damage done in the passing game. That'll be the only way they can answer that because nobody can really answer. Hell, even LSU actually had issues trying to answer that conundrum. I'm trying to yeah. figure it out. Yeah, I, I agree with you. Um, you know, just thinking about how Texas is going to attack Utah. I, I Cade Brewer is going to be healthy for this game. He is. Oh, I play. didn't know that. Yeah. Oh, that's big too. So yep. that brings that brings up the Tell question, you. though, Rod. Like to me, and this, I'll, I'll bring up the Cade Brewer argument we've had all year. Okay. If you're going to have him on the field, then this goes like everything we talked about. The offense boils down to this. If you're going to have him on the field. Use him in a way that maximizes his skills. Yeah, like asking K. Brewer to go be Andrew Beck is not a good way of maximizing his skills. No. If you want to put K. Brewer like in a, you want to run doubles or you want to run a three by one or whatever and get him detached from the formation, great. That's a great use of K. Brewer's skill set. I think he needs to be or, used more in deception. If you want to do that too, you know fine. I mean? Misdirection, but deception, delayed releases. Something other than just put your hand on the ground, go block somebody. Yeah, I don't, don't want to do that. Put, this is this is where you do a disservice to Kate Brewer. I think both ways. Put your hand in the ground, go block somebody like Andrew Beck. He ain't Andrew Beck. Or, oh, just split out wide and beat your Michael Finley. You ain't that either. Okay? Yeah, you ain't respect it, so yeah, scheme yeah. him open so the backside of the play. you got scheme him open, backside of the play, the delayed release and the, you know, the misdirection. Watch the and using today, the play the action, the pop open pass. Yes. Yeah, like, oh, I think you're using him in the wrong way. Put him in the backfield and have him, you know, block and then motion out and go to the other side of the formation. I just think they, they, they assume that he's, you know, I don't know, they assume he's like some legit first round prospect yet tight end. It's like I don't think you have that. No. What you need to do is be able to scheme him in a different way to to get him open. And they just start allowing. I'll just put him out. We're gonna run four wide. I have eleven set, and then we'll be fine. He'll get open. It's like no, no, he doesn't get open. He doesn't get K, open, K and Brewer. he also doesn't do a great job of walling off one part of the defensive line. And he's can, not elite at anything necessarily. That's what I was going to say. And you're yes. treating him like that. And it's like but that. You, you're you doing a, a disservice to him as a coach. You can use that weakness and get that disrespect from the opponent and find ways to get him open. Exactly that's what they did with Andrew Beck. Because they would use Andrew Beck, but he had the elite quality. Texas, which was his te- the, you look at the two Texas tight ends in the NFL right now. And really the last three, if you go look mm-hmm. at Jermichael Finley. Yeah. Like Jermichael Finley, Jeff Swaim, Andrew Beck. Yep. What do all three of those guys have in common? Wayne they Lee all did still. one thing elite. <laughs> yep. yep. 
Swaim and, and, and Andrew Beck, elite blockers. Exactly. No, you Elite can, in line blockers. Go back even further. I said it about Bo Scaife. Bo Scaife could be a good blocker. Bo Scaife, you put him on a route. Bo Scaife needs to be matched up against a linebacker, a safety. I'm going to get open. David oh, Thomas. Tom Herman had Tyrone David Swoops. He yeah. would love Tyrone you know I mean? Swoops so right I, now, the way Seattle yeah. uses it. You spread your Michael Finley out, you're basically in 10, per, in 10 personnel. He's a wide receiver. So my point is, it's, it's why it's bad coaching because – Neither you guys need to develop him to be whatever you want him to be. Since you're not doing that, then you need to you need to put him in a scheme that will, like you said, it will it will highlight his strengths and it will also be able to kind of minimize the damage done by his weaknesses. And they don't do that with him. They've done disservice. Kate Bruce is a damn good football player. They've done they they've done disservice to him. Yeah. Like a lot of guys on that football team, yeah. they know that. that's why they're hiring new staff. <laughs> exactly. For God's sake, you know what I mean? Exactly. So, yeah, I'm with you, though. But I didn't know Cade Brewer was going to be healthy. That's big, man. He, he needs to, you know what? And I'll say it's crazy. O.J. Simpson is the way, where I got this idea. O.J. Simpson. I don't know why. Then they were going to have that segment come up today. I don't know, O.J. on Twitter, okay. dude. Every now and then he comes up on my Twitter feed. People retweet him. I don't same, follow him, but he comes me, up on my Twitter feed. Same here. I've heard some of these Right. Have too. you heard this rant about him? Telling, they need fullbacks. They need more fullbacks oh, in the NFL. I more fullbacks. More fullbacks. And I know it sounds crazy because he's a murderer and you shouldn't listen to what the hell he says, all right? Well, but and the thought process, allegedly, unless you're a Shanahan, yeah, you don't know how you to know, use fullbacks but, in the but, modern no, game. No, but think about the teams that are using fullbacks. It is Shanahan, no, yep. and it is uh, the Patriots are using fullbacks now. The Ravens are using fullbacks now. Oh, yeah. And the point is, they are what, what they're doing is they're basically using guys who have elite skill sets, like he's an elite blocker or he's an elite receiver. We're gonna, Specialized skills. Boom. And we're gonna, you know what? We're going to put him in a position to be successful. And I don't see enough of that with Tom. Tom Herman, like you know, what I mean, with his with his players, you yeah. know, what I mean, using him in a special like in a specialty position, essentially. It's, well, Duvernay, but honestly, Duvernay is not Tom Herman. Don't give Tom Herman props for that because that's the H position no, that's within what, his offense. Everybody who plays that damn position yeah. is really productive. David Duvernay is just a freak. To Marcus Ayers, Linnell Bonner, little Jordan Humphrey. Uh, it, it, that's just how his offense is built. I want you to expand for the other guys within this offense. You know yes, what I mean? Yes, it almost basically simplified the way that like you would hear NBA t- people talk about, well, yeah, now we gave all these switching defenses, it comes down to an ISO, and it's just going to be not the Warriors anymore. We, it's yeah. just Durant's but, jumper. To, it's the same idea with Tom Herman that it's like, well, you know, you have Duvernay, you want to funnel with him, but it also could cause him to become too reliant upon no, that I, thing that it's not using him to the versatile oh, no, skill what, set that then makes you predictable. Well, I think what Rod's talking about is simpler than that. To me, Rod, you can correct me if I'm wrong. Like, you should get to the point where Brennan Eagles should be able to do more than just run a nine route. Exactly. Yeah. No, yeah, everybody's been Colin put Johnson. into a cookie-cutter shell. Yeah, and they are what that's they kind are, of my it's thing. It's very easy. The, yeah. yeah, that's kind of my thing. And I think that's what's kind of holding the offense back just a little bit. Is that I think it's too rigid in your roles. Like what? you, you got to do this and you do this. Yep. You really and I understand that. That's, that's some of it, but man, it didn't work this year though. It yeah, didn't we've work. talked a lot about it over the last. <clears throat> yeah, month it didn't in, work. In I'm not saying your thought process is wrong or your ideology, right. but we can we can all agree. Like I got the numbers. It didn't work. Yeah. You got to so you got to figure out why it didn't work. One, exactly. one thing. One thing I saw at practice on Saturday. I noted this on the site. I don't know if this is something they're gonna do if they do it and haven't used it. There was a period where Roshan Johnson's taking direct snaps and working like read Ooh. option stuff with Ooh, the other nice. running backs. That's sexy. So I don't know if that's like like I look at Roshan Johnson and this is all I kept thinking when I was watching that period, Rod. Like because I was down on the offensive end of the field, defense wasn't doing anything. Yeah, I was down on the offensive end. We were out there for about twenty minutes, and or maybe it was thirty. I don't remember. But anyway, I kept watching Roshan Johnson, and I don't know if it was the number two or whatever. But all I kept thinking was, man, I just wonder what Brian Harson could have done with this guy. <laughs> Knowing uh, how yeah. much, knowing how much, and Brian Harson was a guy like you're talking about. 
he could take guys and figure out, okay, maybe he doesn't do this, but he does this really well. Exactly. And I'm gonna have him do that. Yeah, yeah. I'm gonna put him in this role. Yeah. He does. And I'm, and I and I think Tom Herman is good at evaluation, but I think now you do have to kind of go back because once you lose Colin Johnson and Devin Duvernay, it you have to go back to some evaluation and development because I can take other than I mean I know Jake Smith has stepped up, but. You know, I can tell you who's going to be. Brandon Eagles has shown flashes too, but I can tell you who's going to be the guy for this offense. Yeah, but going that's forward. that. But that's part of going back to the the Yurcich conversation. That's part it of is. Tom Herman. You don't. You need to be less concerned about what you're doing from an offensive game plan standpoint on a week to week basis. You know, you need to make sure you've got the stuff like we're talking about with game plan stuff. You need to make sure you've hired competent coaches that can take care of a lot of that stuff and can develop. The you've talent. got to get back to getting back with Yancey McKnight and worried about player development and asking those coaches why are we not using Cade Brewer in such and such way or asking your defensive coordinator why do you keep having calls where Joseph Osai is 30 yards off the line of scrimmage that's the stuff Tom Herman needs to get back to doing no I totally agree no I'm serious that's why I say Cade Brewer getting back to the initial discussion he should be used as a fullback more too and and he did that it's strange when he brought Reese Latow in once Cade Brewer got hurt started using him as the fullback that guy should be your I'm I'm with the use check Shanahan role. Find a guy that can be that. Yes, that you can be. Because what Beck was, he was tight end, H back, fullback, whatever the hell he needs to be within there. He's based. That's, that's why the Patriots got him to be that. Yeah, like find that guy. And I think Kate Brew can actually be that guy. And since he won't be elite at one thing, then they, you can actually make him competent at a lot of different things, and therefore still make him either a you know he can he can either be uh, on any given play. Uh, he can be the guy or a focal point, or you can have him using misdirection or different things. Let's look at the Texas defense against the Utah offense, and and you know Jeffrey McCulloch started the week down in San Antonio. He got asked, you know, how is Utah similar to some Big Twelve offense? He's like, well, I don't want to give away what we're talking about behind closed doors, but there are some similarities. So I started looking at it. I was like, okay, kind of who does Utah look like? And I reached out to Steve Bartler, Utah publisher at Twenty Four Seven Sports, and. Because I'll be honest, Rod, I didn't have the time, the energy, or the patience to go watch a bunch of Utah film and figure out. I watched out three, and, and four, I watched three games. Beyond, you know, yeah. I watched the Oregon game. I think that was the only full game I watched. I watched some mm-hmm. of the Colorado game. And yeah, I, I think watched, I watched three, like, four like, games. A little bit of the Washington game. But I was like, Steve, like, just tell me, like, what, what their personnel, like, what personnel groupings over the long haul they like. And he's like, well, they're probably 50%, 12 personnel, probably mm-hmm. 35%, 11, and then the rest of it's split between they'll run some 13, they'll run some 21, they'll run some 10. Yeah. So I started thinking, okay, diverse formations. That's kind of Iowa State. Iowa State's all over the place. They have tight ends. With their formation. Yeah. They, and they, Iowa State will get in. They'll run some 13 personnel. They'll run 12 on you. Mm-hmm. Um, but then I started thinking, okay, like from a personnel standpoint, who are they like? And to me, they're kind of, to me, a hybrid of like Oklahoma State and Baylor. And what I boil that down to from a simplistic standpoint is, what would a backfield look like if you had Charlie Brewer, who's a guy with – Functional mobility, accurate passer, heady guy, guy you trust to run your mm-hmm. offense, good distributor of the football with Chuba Hubbard. That's oh, basically what Utah's got with Tyler yeah. Huntley and Zach Moss. Yeah, you're right about that. I and then that. I started thinking, okay, well, stylistically, let's start looking at the numbers and, and the philosophy and who does Utah remind me of. And I came up with it. I started looking at it, and Craig Niver said this is the game plan they're going off of. They look at Utah and see a lot of K-State. Okay. And here's where the numbers match up, Rod. I, I broke some of this down. Utah's run play percentage, they run the ball 63.7% of the time, second among Power 5 programs. K-State's 10th. Mm-hmm. They're about 68.8% run percentage. Time of possession, Utah's second in the country, K-State fourth. Remember one of the, uh, Utah's t- number 12 in the country in third down conversion rate, K-State's 28th. 
This is the number. I remember I brought this number up when Texas played K-State, and it still holds true. K-State defense has faced 713 plays. Okay. It's the least of any FBS defense in the country. And now remember what we talked about, because we started looking at the numbers, Matt. We started looking at yards per yeah. play and these different metrics. Like, K-State's defense, they're not good. Mm. They're just doing a really good job of not exposing them. Exactly. The Utah defense we know is good, but Utah, they face 757 plays, ninth fewest among any FBS defenses. Oh, yeah. So Utah, from a stylistic fundamental standpoint, not fundamentals, but just a stylistic yeah. standpoint, they want to do what K-State did. Yeah. They want to take the air out of the ball. They want to be really good on third down. They want to bleed the clock, and they want to have you looking up in the fourth quarter saying, crap, we've only won like 40 plays. There's seven minutes left in this game. We're down 10. You're in all three phases to beat yeah. you instead of just yeah. over-relying on one phase. Because no, Kyle Whittingham gonna... typically has really good punters and kickers. Yeah, yeah. That makes sense, though. I, I, I totally agree with you. Um, so, and, and that makes, that's trouble, though, for Texas. Right. A little so the, sense, so yeah. what could Texas do? You go back to their Iowa State, their K-State game plan. What, what was one of the – there's two things they did. There's a lot of times where they played Joseph Osai closer to the line of scrimmage, mm-hmm. which we talked about. Why weren't you doing that most of the year? <laughs> Second thing was, remember, they they started Moro Ojimo in that game and brought him in on early downs to give you a true kind of beefy, true four-man front. Yeah, Everybody was screaming all year, oh, four-man front, four-man front. Yeah. And they'll see it in this game and be like, see, why weren't they doing it all year? Well, because you're going up against heavier <coughs> personnel. Yes. Thank you. You're, doing, you're yeah. going against 12 and 11 and really 12 and 13 personnel. You need more bodies. You need and more size. Yeah, two-headed you need some girth. running attack. So yeah. I think that's what you're going to see. If you go back and think back to the K-State game, Texas defensively, that I think is what you're going to see because they know when Utah throws the football, they're either throwing it to – they're doing one or two things. They're either throwing it to Kuthi, their tight end, who's their leading receiver, who yeah. they use as – a fullback, and they'll do different things yeah. with him because he's 6'2", yeah. 230 pounds. They'll do some different things yeah. with him. Or they're throwing it deep. Yeah, they don't want to waste their passing game. Right. When they do pass it, they're going to make it count. Yeah. Yeah, they're going downfield with it. Run. It's built up play action pass. And they have a amount of plays, like Jeff was saying, on just their hope to not only – Limit the opponent, but like look at the right next to the service academies. Air Force One, 60.7. Utah, second fewest opponents plays per wow. game. They're just trying to keep it away. Third, Army, Kansas State. Like State. that's the company they keep. Same thing on offense. Yeah. And Texas has been the opposite because the Big 12 is the opposite that you're able to go now instead of doing it with the ground control and being able to hold on to all. In the Big 12, you just want as many plays. That's how we have possession. We don't care about the time or what's going. We just want as many opportunities to throw. So it's going to be those clashing styles. And the thing is, is when you can give them, say, an elevated amount, like they're used to 60 plays a game. Texas, hell, last year was bordering on giving up over 80. Now it's like 72.4 this year. Mm -hmm. But if you're going to give them an extra, you know, 10%, 15% of plays, you got to make sure that you stop them on those because they got more chances at explosives than they normally. And what was one key stat for Texas in that K-State game? Defensively, they got off the field on third down. K-State only converted one of their final 11 third down attempts. And at the end of the game, we talk about K-State play differentials huge when you play K-State. Yeah, K-State number one in the nation in opponent third down conversion percentage. Wow. Texas into the K-State game plus eight in play differential. Yeah. That's basically a drive. Yeah, no, I agree with you. In no, Kansas State, 26.36% is what the opponent third down conversion percentage was. Yeah. No, when they Utah sixth, 29.7 right there with them. So, that I mean, that's your carbon copy if you look at just the numbers uh, of how it, they deploy their plan. And, of course, all of that forced turnovers. If you mm-hmm. look at the games also where Utah struggled, man, teams were able to force them. I think Oregon won the turnover margin by two. 
USC actually, I think, lost the turnover margin and still found a way to win the game. But that, the USC game is kind of deceiving, though, because Zach Moss was hurt in that game. Uh, this is true. I guess you could point. That's what some of the numbers they don't really they don't really make a whole lot of sense. Yeah, no, that's a good point. But turnovers still yeah. turn the football over. That's ultimate cheat code for the defense. Well, like we talked about, like when the Texas defense was awful, like the the, the first five games of Big Twelve play, guys, they were awful. Like I, I looked at these numbers today. Uh, they gave up. This is Texas to the first five games of conference play. Rushing yards per game allowed, 203.8. Rushing yards per carry, 5.17. Total yards per game, 492.4. Yards per play allowed, 6.5. It's crazy. Third down conversion rate allowed, 41.6%. Points per game allowed, 36. Why is Texas 3-2? and two? In those five games, you forced 10 turnovers. Yeah, there you go. And turnovers are the only reason, A, the West Virginia game probably wasn't a loss or at least much closer, yeah, and, B, that's the only reason the Oklahoma game wasn't a blowout because you got those two turnovers. Turnovers, baby. You bring up the points right there with Texas over for the year. Third down conversion percentage for opponents is at 40%, but the last three games down below 35%, and Texas's defense was competitive with some and finally getting healthy at the end of the season. So at least it sort of aligns with that, that you got some bodies back and you started to improve from when you were worse than what your season average Yeah, I've got I've got Texas guys over the last four games. Uh, rushing yards allowed per game, 99.3 yards per carry, 3.4 yards per play, all the way down to 5.9. Uh, total yards per game, 407.8. Third down conversion rate allowed, right, right around 37%. And points per game in kind of those last four games, you're going down from 36 points per game allowed to 23.8. Yeah. No, no, no. You saw – yeah. I mean, I guess you saw some improvement. No question. Well, what we were talking about, though, like when you're facing K-State, Baylor – yeah, yeah, Iowa State. True. You're facing a different kind of offense. And honestly, to your point, I know Tyler Lund was not here anymore, but Texas had more success defensively versus the offenses that had um, that used more power sets, used more tight ends, right. and used more fullbacks and less spread sets. Like Neil Brown, I think wants to, but West Virginia can't right now. They don't have they don't have the personnel to do yeah, that. Yeah, they can't do that. You know, Oklahoma is what it is. It Oklahoma is, State yeah. is what it is. TCU, Sonny Cumbie's an air raid guy, and then Kansas held Brent Deerman. They ran a little bit they of everything. Spread it out too. They had a little bit of everything. Yeah. So we've talked about all the numbers. Uh, well, I guess we'll do predictions. Rod, you're you're taking a Texas win. I'm taking Texas, one. man. Mm-hmm. I think it's a it's a perfect and Tom Harmon's really good in bowl games. I know Kyle Whittingham's awesome in bowl games. So I think he has the best record of any FBS head coach. Eleven and two, I think. I'm yeah, he you knows Kyle Whittingham's really good. But I think it's a it's a matchup for Texas if they can just use the advantage of Colin Johnson healthy and Devin Duvernay. I think it's going to be hard for Utah to to stop that combo. Yep. So Texas will always be in the game with that combo, and I'm thinking in the fourth quarter, find a way to win it. No, and with what Texas. you said at the beginning, just talking about what Utah struggled against, mm. and whenever it is against some talent, because Texas has guys out there that are going to be confident that, that they are more talented or as talented as your opponents. So add that on top of the fact that I was surprised that the offensive line and deep lines like Texas actually, where I thought would be deficient compared to them, may actually be rather yeah. even to them. And then when just looking at, like you said, not only is there the element of Herman somehow always performing very well as an underdog and his teams being that way, but this is should be the hungriest Texas team we've seen. Like there is some bad taste in the mouth, not all the way from the coach to the players on how the season went. And there can be that bowl psychology that even though it is a big bowl game in Utah likes Texas, this is 
just like every single time you have one of these games. It's weird how Baylor ends up playing in Texas's spot against Georgia in the big game. <laughs> but then you have like the yeah, the team like Utah that gets left out of the playoff or left out of the championship almost every year be yep. the one that it is a little bit hard. Just human nature that you aren't playing for what you were just playing for while Texas is flipped and all the incentives there. And I think Texas will like – by the end of it, choose. I think it's going to be super close. Trade TDs all the way, and say it comes down to a two point conversion. And just because it feels homerish, I'll say Texas wins twenty nine twenty eight. Ron, I do, I do like the mentality. I do like the mentality of this Texas team. Just what I'm hearing, what I see, what I saw on the practice field. Uh, you talked about it though. Your senior year when you guys went up to Texas Tech and, and lost, and there was going to be no BCS game, no conference championship. Yeah, you guys made the decision to basically turn that Cotton Bowl against LSU into your championship game. Like, you know be. what? The the flip side of that, you remember the following year when, same deal, Texas, like they thump A&M in the, in the regular season finale, but then Oklahoma loses the Big 12 championship game. There is no BCS game for Texas. Oh, yeah. Man, that team couldn't have cared less to be in that Holiday Bowl against Washington, Washington State. State. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that was They bad couldn't one. have cared yeah. less to be there. <laughs> I remember that. So it, it's one of those deals is, is Utah in that boat Texas was in in 2003 where, man, our consolation prize, we got to go to San Antonio. We, we, they, thought they, they thought they were going to be in a Fiesta Bowl. I know. <coughs> With a chance to play for the national championship. That's true. And now Point. they're saying, man, is our consolation prize really? It happens. The SEC will tell you it happens all the time. <laughs> yep. No Which, but, the time. Hey, for the SEC, bowl season matters now. <laughs> I know what I'm saying. Now they're winning, yeah. bowl season matters. <laughs> Ridiculous. <laughs> um, I'm going to take Utah with this hook. Texas offensive line, go prove me wrong. I think that's where this game is won and lost. In the trenches. And I don't think it's in the trenches specifically. I think it is if Texas wins this game, We'll look back and say, you know what, Herb Hand's offensive line, that group did a, did a damn good job. Yeah. No, I remember, listen, last year we were all shocked by the D-line and the O-line for Texas outplaying Georgia. I think it's one of those situations, again, I'm with you, I think that it'll have to be that situation where we're like, okay, Texas mm-hmm. is the more physical team. That's why they're going to win. But, if Texas is not the more physical team, then they won't win. It. Because I think, and you you go Texas loss, LSU, lose the physicality battle. Yep. You Those goal-to-go possessions in the first mm-hmm. quarter. Basically, that that ended up pretty much deciding that game, set the tone yep. for that game. No doubt. TCU, you lost the physicality battle. Yep. Oklahoma, you oh, you, got uh, you didn't lose the physicality <laughs> you battle. You, that was yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You no, got the, you got boat raced in the physicality. Baylor, Baylor, Iowa them. State. Those are your five losses. Lost the physicality battle. Couldn't run every the ball. Couldn't do anything. Yeah. There Flip side of it. I mean, you beat K State. You win a physicality battle. Yeah. You beat Oklahoma State. You win the physicality battle. It's all about. In the trenches, it's all about, man. It's all, yeah. yeah, no, I'm yeah, with you on that. It's all about hit. It comes down to who wants it more, and this is that perfect situation where Texas actually may have more incentive than they do. They may. Yeah, they may. All Absolutely. right. We uh we gave you guys an extra long, meaty version of the Blitz this week. We had a lot to talk about, but uh, hope you guys enjoyed it. Everybody have a safe, healthy, happy new year. Thank you so much for supporting the podcast. We thank you so much for Everything you guys do out there, we get the emails, the tweets, everything about you guys enjoying the show. And Appreciate we could it. not do what we do without you supporting the show. So thank you very much. And with that, the last blitz of 2019 is in the books. Hmm, another good one. Now streaming on Paramount Plus. You ready, Bob? Well, all right. Audiences are raving. Bob Marley is electrifying. 
the feel-good movie of the year. You dig? Bob Marley, One Love. Rated PG-13. Now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. See you guys in 2020. Matt, thanks for everything, man. You're more than welcome. Rod B., appreciate the time and the knowledge. Anytime, brother. For Matt, for Rod, for everybody at the Austin Radio Network and the Horn 1049-1019-AM1260, streaming on the Horn app and at hornfm.com, where you can get Rod B. on the Rodcast each and every weekday from 1 to 3. Shameless plug. That's where you can also hear Longhorn Blitz Weekly. And thanks to Matt, you can get this. You can get all our archives, our classic interviews. <laughs> find it all on the Longhorn Blitz SoundCloud page. Yep, just type in Longhorn Blitz. Don't forget to find us anywhere you get your podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify. Search Horns 24-7 Podcasts. You get us, the flagship state of recruiting. You get it all by subscribing to Horns 24-7 Podcasts. For the Horn family, for the Horns 24-7 family, I'm Jeff Howe. Thank you so much for downloading and listening, and we will catch you again on the next episode. You've been listening to Longhorn Blitz with Horns247.com. Remember, for the latest Longhorn news 24-7, visit Horns247.com. You can now relive the best moments of the UEFA Champions League 24-7. The UEFA Champions League channel is a new 24-hour streaming channel serving non-stop goals, highlights, and full match replays from the world's most prestigious club competition. Reminisce on your favorite moments, legendary players, and brilliant goals with the UEFA Champions League channel streaming around the clock on Pluto TV and the CBS Sports app.